Welcome to another edition of Small Doses. Want to remind everybody that the paperback version of the Small Doses Potent Truths for Everyday Use book will be dropping on April 12th. Okay. So, April 12th, you can pre order it right now. It's also going to be available on April 12th for you to get like in your hand. And if you haven't already, check out Illustrious League, my new line, which is now available at illustriousleague.com, the Save Yourself Collection, all about making you feel good while you're doing what you got to do to turn this world into a better place. So check that out. Um, I've been really excited about just how excited people are about it. And um, launching a line is no easy feat. And anyone who's done it, uh, I commend you because I am a work in progress. Speaking of a work in progress, uh, as we are all moving through life, you know, we find ourselves in the best case scenario, bumping up against folks who can give us solid advice and insight and it coming and, and that comes from a place of wisdom. But I feel like a lot of times we can't really um, tell if someone's giving us wisdom or bullshit, or sometimes we we find ourselves like glossing over wisdom because we want to do it ourselves or because we want to not feel like we're being led down a road. And, and it's important though, that we understand the value that there is in moving from a place of knowledge to wisdom, because it really is a transition that you make in terms of maturity and experience. And I think a lot of us misnomer our knowledge for wisdom. There was a time when I was in my 20s and I was like 27 and I just really thought like I need to have my own show because I know things and I talk about things and I'm an old soul and I'm smart, so why not? And I was, I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before, but it, but I'm gonna say it again. And I sat down with this reporter, this journalist, Lola Onganuke, and we were having lunch and I told her and she was like, you're not gonna get your own show until you're at least 35. And I was like, why would you say that? And she was like, because it's not until then that you're gonna really have a voice that's backed by wisdom, not just by information. And I was like, well, I'm wise, I have wisdom. And she was like, no, you may know some things and you may have experienced some things, but it's time that really does like manifest, um, what you have experienced into what you understand. And I didn't really, 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 really get it until I was 35. And at this point now at 39, going on 40, this is the first time in my life that I truly, truly feel like it really, really is time for me to have my own show because the experience I've had are no longer just driven by uh, information or emotion. The synthesizing of all of those things is what then evolves into wisdom and you being able to look at something from a far enough distance. And sometimes it really just does take time to get enough distance away for you to be able to apply all of those things. Now, someone who has helped me on my path to that purpose and to understanding myself in that way is Bevy Smith. She's an author. She's a host. She's a former fashion editor. She's many, many things. But for me, she has always been a guiding voice and light in this industry to keep me not only from going 
going astray, but also to keep me from just turning on myself. And I always tell people the best advice I can give you is to have people in your corner who will remind you of who you are and what you're doing when you forget it. So we have Bevy Smith joining us so that she can remind us about what it is to be wise. People I like. Yeah. So joining us today... Is the ever so wise one and so um, generous with that wisdom, Miss Bevy Smith, author of Bevelations. Before we even go any further, I was like trying to think of like, okay, what do I want to talk to Bevy about? Of course, we want to plug her book, but like, what do I want to talk to Bevy about that is that she would be passionate about and that I, that like, I feel like I understand. And then I'm like, well, that's what the book is, is your wisdom. And, and so much of my connection to Bev has been her pulling me aside to (laughs) whisper wisdom (laughs) in my ear. Uh, And, and then finding out that there are so many others who like have had that happen. So, you you know, part of me was like, damn, like I'm not the only one. But then the other part of me was like, the only one you see it's a practice it's a practice so welcome the incomparable Bevy Smith I'm not even sure I mean you're a host you're a woman about town you <laughs> you are a radio personality um you're a, a commentator you know you began as a fashion uh were you a fashion editor I was a fashion advertising executive then a fashion editor then a fashion TV expert, then a fashion TV host. <laughs> I did a lot in fashion, but fashion is how I got my foot in the door of everything. Fashion kind of like was the big unfolding of my life for me. Um, and I got a lot of wisdom from being in the fashion business. A lot now, of- when, when, now, because I feel like specifically with fashion, the era speaks a lot to what's going, you know, what was happening. So like what era did you enter the fashion business in? The late eighties. So I was, it was a time. It was a time. I was an 18 year old receptionist and I, um, snuck into this job, literally. (laughs) Please, please tell us how you snuck into a job. I was a temp, um, a temporary worker. Yep. And um, when I got there, it was this beautiful, like, beautiful, posh fashion advertising agency that, like, worked with Vidal Sassoon and Black Lama Mink and Bottega Veneta and all of this. And so I was like, ooh, this is nice. And um, so Coming I'm Coming from Harlem. So you came downtown from Harlem and you was like, yes, this is, I'm, all right. But, you know, from Harlem, you know, one of the great things about being from Harlem is that unlike, you know, in Jay-Z, he talked uh, in his book, Dakota, he talked about how scary it was to come into Manhattan. Right. When you're from Harlem, you don't have that. So we're just like a train stop away from downtown. So as a Harlem person, you grow up always being downtown any, anyway. So it's not okay. like a, ooh, downtown. <laughs> like, you're like, yeah, downtown, bitch. It's like you take two train stops downtown and you're like in the middle of all of it. But so, but I, but I am a temp. And I'm temping and I'm loving it. But people are calling into the, the switchboard for the job. <laughs> and I, really, I have to take matters into my own hands, Amanda. I can't let these people take my job. So I started telling them motherfuckers the job was filled. Position was filled. 
And sure enough, in about two weeks, the nice white lady, Eleanor, came to me and was like, we're not getting that many inquiries. You're doing so well. Would you like the job? <laughs> yes, I would. I really would, Eleanor. I love the job. I can't imagine why there's no no inquiries. <laughs> I can't. I, just I cannot can't. imagine why. And so I, that started me on my trajectory. And I, I had no idea. What I will say is that the, the late 1980s, there's literally, virtually, really no Black people um, um, in the business that you can see, right? right. So this is a time before um, editors like an Andre Leon Talley. I was would, about to say, okay, yeah. Would be out like in a magazine. No, you know, once upon a time, editors were not personalities. They did their work behind the scenes. They toiled behind the scenes. <laughs> Same thing with fashion designers. When I came on the scene, huh. fashion designers were, were looked upon as the help. Oh, wow. A lot of people don't know that. But fashion designers were like what you would think of now. Of if, if, Even if you have an amazing floral designer in your life right now, even if they have a big business, they're not known that. Like, you don't, you can't think of a great floral designer and think of a face, right? <laughs> right, right, right. That's how fashion was back then. It was before fashion designers became brands and personalities. So, so this is, and like shortly thereafter is when we get the Karl Lagerfelds. Um, well, Karl Lagerfeld is, it exists, but Karl Lagerfeld is not Karl Lagerfeld that you guys right. as. Um, Yves Saint Laurent was yeah, more. Exactly. He was the, okay. he was a, he was an entity, but, but back then it just really didn't exist. So yes, of course there was Willie Smith. And yes, there was a man named Fabrice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the early 90s, it was Patrick Kelly. But again, you know, early on, not so much. So I'm coming into these all white spaces. And then advertising at that time was also all white. Right. So I'm black. I'm in these all white spaces. But because I grew up in Manhattan and because I had been reading all about these society people and you know, I'm just a weird kid like that. I used to read all types of stuff. And so I knew the, a lot of the people that were coming into the, the agency. And a funny little anecdote. You know who used to come into the agency? Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields and I are almost the same exact age. And Brooke Shields had a gene line back when she was a, a young model. Yeah. But Brooke Shields was a huge, huge model. She was a yeah. child in those Calvin Klein jeans. Um, she was a child, but she, by the time she was 18, 19, she had her own gene line. So she would come in with her mother and Brooke Shields would sit in the reception area with me. <laughs> and we would talk like we were 18 year old girls, even though right. she was a multimillionaire, 18 year old girl. And I was a black girl from Harlem, but we would just <laughs> gab about things that were going on. Yeah, music, boys, you know, like, just like. Look at us, two two young women ready to take <laughs> on the world. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think even just you telling the story of how you were like, you know what, I need to take matters into my own hands with, with the job, it speaks to kind of like this sense of... Have well, and you and you just mentioned that you were always reading stuff, like having a world, like a bigger view of what was then of what was right in front of you. Yeah, 
And so how do you feel like that developed? Like, were you just like, I, I mean, I know you are somebody who like talks a lot about your parents. I just learned that your father just passed. So I'm sorry, so sorry to hear that. Cause I know that you have always talked about how close you are with your parents and how they're, you know, up there in age. And, and you're like, I'm, I'm just so lucky to have gotten to spend so much time with them. How did they play a role in sharing their wisdom to you to create this person who thinks that way? Well, um, I always tell people I live with history. So finally, people are starting to understand that slavery really wasn't that long ago. And this is how I break it down. My parents are from Jim Crow South. My dad was born in 1925. Slavery mm-hmm. ended in 1865, which means that when my father was born, slaves were still alive. Former slaves were still alive. Right, right, and right. So there you have that. Hanging about. Yeah, like. I am literally, I literally knew, know someone who literally knew a slave. <laughs> like, that, like, break that down. That's literally one degree of Kevin Bacon. I mean, like. <laughs> one degree of picking cotton. One degree, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's bonkers, right? Like, when you think about that. like Because, literally. well, 100 years is not a long time. No. I mean, it's, it's just not, you know, it's like. Not. And um, especially when you know someone who's almost a hundred, it really isn't a long time. Like my mom is literally 93 and popping. You understand? So like, yeah, but she also had to go to work when she was like 12 years old or something ridiculous. Got you. And so when you say you live with history, you know, were they, did they share with you? Like, were they, you know, provocative in terms of these stories? Were they like, you know, Bevy just, or were they, were they like my mom who was just like, you're free, go live. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they definitely gave us every opportunity. They made sure that they took us out of Harlem every weekend so that we never felt like we were trapped or like that was the only thing that we could do or Mm -hmm. be a part of. Um, so they made sure that we had broader horizons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in my book, I actually talk about, you know, kind of living in between these two worlds. So when I grew, grew up in Harlem, when I, in my most formative years, like think about elementary, junior high, it's, the, it's a tale of two cities. It's like, we are the first generation out of the civil rights movement. I'm born in 66. Yes. By the time I get 10 is 76, where right. this is when you start to see the black middle class really making real strides, right? That's when you start seeing ads with men, black men in suits and with briefcases. You start mm-hmm. seeing advertising like that in Ebony Magazine. So this is like the, the cusp of that. And because I'm in Harlem, red, black, and green um, pan-Africanism is everywhere. Yes, I learned Swahili in grade school. Um, yes, I did. Um, every day was Black History Month because um, the, the, the schools was just littered, the hallways and the classrooms with Black luminaries, A. Philip Randolph, you know, um, you know, County Cullen. It wasn't just like Harriet Tubman, Frederick right. Douglass. Like, no, we went deep. It's Benjamin Banneker. It's, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you really learned. But then on the same, the flip side, it was the time of the heroin of uh, 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 addiction. Sure. 
Yeah. And so what you have then is 116th Street being called Junkies Paradise. So you you have that and then you have Black Pride all around. So it's it's these two cities and and we're stuck in the middle. And my parents were never street life people because they were much older by the time we were born. I was my mom when I was 10 my mom was 48. My dad was 52 and most of my friends their parents were maybe 16 to maybe 20 years, only 16 to 20 years older than them. So my parents really stood out for that too. Um, and then they also weren't uh, like Pan-African people because they came from Jim Crow South and they were not educated. So they had no, they they were certainly not trying to get back to Africa. <laughs> it's like, what? Get back to where? <laughs> you know, I would say like, we would go to the African, American Day Parade and everybody would be in like their daishikis and intricate cornrows and my sister and I would be like in like a gingham dress and like <laughs> pigtails. Like we looked we were like Heidi's in the sea of Aisha's. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so you're bringing all of that into that fashion space and yeah. you know who like can you just share with me like people and such like people specifically people who you feel like shared wisdom with you um that brought you along and and the type of wisdom that they shared because i think that a lot of us can't recognize when we're having wisdom shared with us versus uh, or when we're like sometimes people are sharing wisdom with us and we take it as like you trying to tell me what to do or you know you're trying you're, you're trying to knock my style and it's like no and then also on the flip side sometimes i feel it's like there's a way to share this type of wisdom with people in a way that does feel like wisdom. Yes. To get, because I know that's been a journey for me is like, how do I share this in a way where it can be received versus where it's going to first prick somebody, you know, and someone who's more sensitive would just run before it even like makes it beneath the surface. Yeah. And that and then maybe in 10 years, they'll understand what you were trying to say, but by then it won't do them no motherfucking good. They've been there. You change your tone. Right. Yeah. And I had to learn that even the hard way. You know what I mean? Like, I used to tell, I mean, I, I, a famous story is my, one of my girlfriends, my sister friend, Mickey. She was a secretary at a, a, um, at a union. And I said, and we were all like, we were always really ambitious girls. Um, even when, and we were hip hop hotties. Like, so in, in, in the book, I talk about being Big Beth from Uptown. And that's my, my golden era. Baby. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm in the studio with Pac, Biggie, Puff, everybody, right? And and I'm literally a bona fide hip hop hottie, but at the same time I had this big old career that I was building. <laughs> no one knew. Okay, so right, so up. you was giving them like I'm just around, you know, but but you knew I'm laying roots. I'm laying roots, and I'm really building towards something. But one day I told Mickey. What are you going to do next? She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you got to do something besides being the secretary. She's like, well, this is a good union job. And I was like, that's the dumbest shit I ever heard. You can't do that. And I was harsh and horrible, right? And she really like fell out with me. But can I tell you, years later, she understood what I was saying. And now Mickey is literally one of my most successful friends. She has an amazing independent real estate company. She does incredibly well. I make good money. Mickey makes more money than I do. <laughs> Mickey. I, 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 Mickey. You know what I'm saying? 
So, but I, my delivery was fucked up. So now I have a better delivery about the way I'm, when I'm trying to give wisdom, I know how to give it better. But for me, I think some of, um, you know, my mentors, my original mentors, and I've only really had six mentors in my life. And that's I, a lot of mentors. What are you talking about? They, they were in a group. It was four of them in a group. Okay. Four white people all clustered together in <laughs> one space. Okay. Right? And then there was a married couple that were my TV mentors. But the four white people that were clustered together in one space, the best thing that they gave me and the way they gave me the wisdom and the information is that, and I don't know how this happened, but they never looked upon me as someone who needed to be saved. And mm. one of the worst things that white people can do when they think they're being your fucking ally is to think of themselves as your fucking savior. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. I never needed saving. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My family, my life, my community, mm -hmm. if I had never done any of this shit, I would still be living a good life. Right. Cause I, uh, cause I had my family and my community. Yep. It just been a different life, but it would have been a great life. If I had never gone and done all these other things. So my mentors never looked at it like, oh, I'm about to expose you to this <laughs> world that's going to be better and you're going to be about. Now, there were white people in those spaces that tried to do that to me. Yes. They tried it, to my fair lady you, I'm sure. Right. And it, makes them, and it makes them feel like, you know, this is my charity work. This is my contribution. Well, you know, like the ones that um, would say you say you're from Harlem. Oh my God, are you safe? Or, or <laughs> yes, <laughs> or the ones when you um, when you you finally, you know, when I started making good money, you know, the first six figures gig, and they know that you're making good money. Well, why don't you just move? Why would I move? I love why? my. Community. This is where, yeah, I I, I love my community so. You know, those were the those were the heinous ones. But the ones that gave me the good wisdom, the good jewels, saw me as I truly was and respected me and respected who I was as a black woman, as a black young woman and just dropped jewels on me. But even more than even just giving me wisdom, they opened fucking doors. So here's a tip. Here's a revelation. Instead of talking people silly, why don't you open the fucking door for them and let them walk in? real nice. Do that if you really want to help a person. You know what I mean? And so I think that a lot of times um, people are quick to give you so much advice, but then when it comes time for them to actually put that advice into action, yes. they're not willing to do it. Well, because it means that they are now putting themselves at risk for possibly being attached to someone who's not going to hold, let you, you know, who's not going to live up to the vouch or whatever. Well, then mind your business and don't tell and, me. Nothing. And there's that. Because that's my thing. I'm just like, if you aren't going to vouch for me, then I'm not really interested in the conversation. I mean, it took a long time for me to even find like agents that I felt like, we're going to properly vouch for me and they get in the cut. <laughs> I think it's dope though that you had mentorship because I don't, I don't feel like I ever had mentorship in a distinct, like in a, in a, in a distinct way where like, we both know that mentorship is happening. I really feel like you're the closest to that. Like, I mean, there's, there's definitely people that like, 
you know, you kind of stumble upon the conversation and it, you know, it's an uplifting or it's an informational conversation and you glean what you get from it. And you're like, well, that was nice, you know, right. and, but that could be that. Listen, that could be in a meeting or a cab. Like right, right, exactly. I've had conversations with cab drivers where I left the cab like, man, that really touched me. That really touched right, me. Exactly. You know, but I yeah. think it's dope that you had that experience because there, a lot of our listeners, um, Talk about like Amanda, can you mentor me? You know, Amanda, I need mentorship. And I know I for me, <laughs> I can't mentor. So can 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 we just say this to the listeners? A me- mentoring, a mentorship is a reciprocal relationship. There's give and there's take on both ends. And you cannot simply just want to tap or pick Amanda's brain and and think that that's gonna work for her. First of all, as I've said so many times, that if I ever just sat around and let all the people pick my brain or go to people for, who want to just meet for coffee or any of that, y'all wouldn't want to y'all wouldn't want to meet with me because I wouldn't be doing shit except meet with motherfuckers <laughs> and drinking watery coffee and eating a hard scone. And have you ever noticed, Amanda? A lot of times when people want you to come out for the coffee and stuff, you wind up having to pay for it. That is absolutely. What's that about a bitch? So wait. So not only. Did I have to take up an hour of my time, which at this point, we both make a whole lot of money per hour. Okay, okay. <laughs> Keep it 100. And and then now, and now I got to pay for it. Okay, Houston, we have a problem. So stop asking people to be your mentor. You know what happens? You know how mentoring really happens? It is truly organic. Yeah. It's like one day you realize that this is a person that you can call. Yep. And, and, and you're like, oh, okay, this person... Well, not only can I call because I trust them, but they'll also take my call and and it feels right. And it feels good. Like I know for sure, Amanda, that, and, and oh, something else is really beautiful. My first ever mentor, you know, my son to relish, you see him on the computer. He's chocolate, really on beautiful. The computer. <laughs> I don't that. know to relish. No, I will look, I'm going to find him now. Wait until you see him, baby. Ooh. So he's, he's the first person I ever officially mentored. Okay. And, and the way I officially mentored him is because I saw him in Las Vegas when I worked at Vibe and I used to do these street style photos because I had to go to Milan and Paris and explain to them that <laughs> our culture was into fashion. Yes. They didn't believe it. It was a, too much of a cultural disconnect. But you know what? Pictures speak a thousand words. Not so the top these, Yeah. You know what I mean? So I would take these pictures and I stopped him in Las Vegas. I took a picture and then he went on his way. And then maybe a week later, I went to Iceberg. Remember Iceberg World, the cartoon? Of course! Series? I went to the Iceberg Mansion, ding dong, the butler opens the door, and this young man comes down the stairs, beautiful, black, old baby. And I'm like, young man, aren't you the young man from Vegas? And he's like, yes. I said, well, what are you doing here? Which is an awful thing to ask someone. I know! <laughs> in, the, in a house. Like, they coming down the stairs in this house. <laughs> And he says, I work here. I said, what do you do here? He said, I'm, I do PR and I'm a fit model. I said, get out of here. I said, where are you from? He says, Harlem. I said, oh, ah! no. <laughs> I said, what are you doing tonight? He's like, um, nothing. I said, you're coming with me. Because <laughs> I had never had a black mentor in all of my years in fashion. And right. so when I saw this young man who had his foot in the door. I said, I'm about to blow this bitch wide open so that you can go any fucking where you want in this world. And when I tell you, I dragged him all around the world with me. Really? Where's, oh, what's, he, what's he do now? 
He's a motherfucking Khaled stylist. Why he not? Ma- <laughs> he, makes, he makes all the fucking coins in the universe. All the coins, having a blast on jet skis, <laughs> having a blast. private all day long. It's everything. Her. I um, um I'm gonna be flying private for the first time soon, and I am going to be acting a fool. <laughs> for the record, I'm not the one paying for it because I know y'all are like oh, 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 oh. um, but yeah. What I'm are you wearing? What are you wearing? Because you have to have a private plain look, especially for your inaugural trip. Well, it will be a tracksuit because that I also have to remain true to self. Um, of course. So I will put together a look, L-E-W-K. Um, right, you and... need a look. But now, is it going to be a tracksuit with a heel or will it be a tracksuit with a very limited edition sneaker? A very limited cool? edition sneaker. A very, said, limited, yes. Yes. Oh, a very oh. limited edition sneaker. And it'll be a limited edition tracksuit for that matter. Like, I find tracksuits that other people are like, where did you find that? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I found it on the website, but you just didn't have the eye. Right. You didn't have the eye. You didn't have the eye. So I love that. I'm very excited. I cannot wait to see the visuals. But, because- I, but let me just say that there was a time when when I was sitting on a couch in Harlem myself, and Bev was like, you going to get there. You going to get there one day. And it felt... I felt your I felt your belief, but I also felt like she must know something I don't know. Because <laughs> sitting here right now, this feels very foolish for me to believe. It was so apparent, though. You were clearly a star. And I think I just said this on the computer under something you just did. I was just like, you're genius. Oh, under the post <laughs> about uh, this fool, um, Kevin Frazier and yeah. this crazy white woman. Oh, her. I can't. But your genius will not be denied. You know what I mean? And 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 then I just watched something else you just did, and you were like, "I just need my own show." Hey, <laughs> I'm telling you. But I think that we also have to remember this: when you're a unicorn, which you truly are. A lot of people call themselves unicorns, and they they're really not. There's not a lot of people that are very rare in the way that they think and the way that they they uh, express themselves. You you really are a unicorn. And what I'm going to say about that is this. <clears throat> Clearing the throat. That's not the easiest path. Because folks love some basic shit that's just affable and easy to get along with. And people love shit that like just fill it, but just fall in the slot and it's just like nice. And I'm going to tell you something. If you straightened your hair and if you just had a sunshiny spirit and if you just didn't make fucking waves, you would already have your fucking show. But then who the fuck would you be? You'd be hey, a miserable person. <laughs> and you, no, they would watch. Because, you know, you would just, you you still have, you still have star power. You still a watch. You have charisma. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't you know, be impactful. Especially not in this space. I did, you know, I was the, the co-host of Page Six TV. Yes. And, and what's interesting about that, and I remember I told my co-hosts who were younger, and it was their first TV job. I said to them, I said, now, Angels, I want you guys to know that us being on TV every single day is not what it used to mean. It's not right. what it used to be. Once upon a time, if you were on TV every single day, Ma'am. you were a star automatically. That By nature, by roast. Now that's not so much the case. So if you had that Amanda, affable Amanda show, <laughs> it wouldn't mean anything. 
The but affable you, Amanda show sounds like a sketch where right. I do like the affable Amanda versions. Of yeah, the, exactly. like, what is the affable Amanda version of me checking Kate, Kevin Frazier about interviewing? You, you waffle on it. You waffle on it. The whole thing. You like, oh, well, you know, I'm sure you meant well. I'm sure Sharon. And, you know, I get it. There That's is no race. We're all humans. It's the human race. Um, yeah, that that's I, I need to write that down because that's a sketch. <laughs> right. Um, the show. Um, but so all that to say is this. You're gonna get your show. We don't know what it's gonna really look like because I know you have it in your head. And I know there's I know a what, yeah, I know what it's gonna look like. No, but we don't. Because when you get it, we just don't know. We don't know. No, I'm as a creative, I know what I'm manifesting, right? So like right. I I know what it I know what I want the actual show to look like. I don't know what the response will be. I don't know what and also I will say this something I have learned, and here's some wisdom for y'all. Mm-hmm. Um I have learned to manifest to create and manifest with room. Like Amen. <laughs> when I was younger, I feel like I would have these very finite visions of how something was going to be. Yeah. And then if it didn't materialize in that way, it felt like a fail or it felt like falling short or, mm-hmm. you know, just like it felt wrong. And now I've come to understand, like, it's really the seed and the intention. And, you know, you, you got to have the bullet points there, but there just, there has to be enough headroom for it to grow, for it to be flexible for you to, and, and this is not to say for you to compromise, right? <laughs> this is not for you to say like, okay, now you're shifting, you know, what you had planned into something else, because you'll know what that feels like. But I've had to learn like, no, this is the space you know, mm-hmm. that I want to be in and this, I'm manifesting that space for myself yes. and it has these elements about it. You know, it's kind of like when you're trying to find an apartment or a home, it's like, you do have to make a list of like, these are things that I absolutely have to have. Right. You like know, a every- with a tub that's not <laughs> like, in the kitchen. When I left New York, I had to have sunlight because I lived in a first floor duplex for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And I, ha- I had a vitamin D deficiency. I would have like seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I moved to LA, it was like the bottom line, I have to have sunlight. So like for me, like manifesting my own show, bottom line, I have to be able to infuse comedy. And that may sound like something that is like bod- like obvious, but the amount of shows y'all that I get pitched that ain't got shit to do with comedy Amanda, we so we want you to be a political stop. You you lost me at political. We have a plan for a, a big show where you're going to be interviewing folks about their roles in diversity. I'm like, so that sounds like me talking to a lot of white people right. about what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm just not interested in that. Yeah. But you said something earlier about like mentorship being an exchange. And that's like, so we did an internship program with smart, funny and black productions last year. And we really, really tasked ourselves and made ourselves responsible with figuring out how we can be a value to our interns so that they don't feel like they're just being utilized as paid unpaid workers. And the best thing we could do is provide wisdom. Um, And so we would have like, 
uh, talk backs with assignments. You know, we would also have speaking like master classes with, you know, my, my, like my peers and notables and colleagues like Sam J who just dropped her special on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, like she did the, the, the masterclass for our comedy writers. And the best thing to hear after was folks who did the internship saying like, you know, this is the most learning internship I've ever done. And that's the whole point. So like that to me has been a way where I've been able to mentor um, in exchange. And I try to do my, I try to do my best to do that with this show as well. Right. But it's a, it's a free show (laughs) y'all. When it comes to, to wisdom, was there a point where you feel like you had kind of transitioned from just having knowledge to having wisdom? Yes. And what was that? When I realized I transitioned from knowledge to wisdom was um, when I was 33 years old and the last relationship that I thought I was going to get married um, actually didn't come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And I had to do all of this intense uh, work on myself. And I had... As in going to therapy? Like, what What was the word? I had started going to therapy when I was with him because he had suggested that. He was like, I love you, but you're driving me to distraction. And so... Is this I, a Black man? Uh-huh. Interesting. And he suggested therapy. Yeah. And this is in the thousands? In the thousands. Okay. That's yeah. like... Because yeah. I feel like that wasn't on the tip of our people's tongues in the way it is now. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And you know what? I never even thought about that. But yeah, he was. He was. He's a great guy. He's my friend now. Um, glad we didn't get married. <laughs> um, but wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah, back to wisdom. So that's a, hell, that's a revelation. That's glad a revelation. we didn't get married. <laughs> I didn't get. Didn't marry him. Um. But I did all this work on myself and then I realized so many different things. And I realized that a lot of what I had been pursuing was really about me not being happy um, and wanting my happiness to come from a man because mm-hmm. that's what society teaches us. That if you want to be happy, if you're a woman, all you have to do is get a man and then the man will complete you. Um, and and then they take care of everything, which is a horrible thing to put on a man. That he needs to be in charge of your fucking happiness. Yeah. Like he should add to it, but you should not. I like literally be like, I'm not happy. You're not making me happy. It's like I remember, oh, I remember going through that phase. That was a fun time. <laughs> awful, right? It's embarrassing. I, it's embarrassing, but it's also like a rite of passage. <laughs> yeah, it is. And to be honest, that was the relationship that you had actually pulled me aside about. And you were like, no more mistakes. And we were at a brunch. I always tell this story that we were at a brunch. We, we, you pulled me aside. I walked in very unknowing that I was going to have a bomb dropped on me. <laughs> I remember I had on a, a colorful, like, um, poncho <laughs> caftan of sorts. Right. And you pulled me aside and you were like, no more mistakes. And I was like, good morning to you as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And you said, um, and I was like, what do you mean? And you were like, 
with your relationships because you had known, I, I forgot how you knew that I had broken up, but I had broken up with this person that had been about town with me. He had been yeah. about town with me and, you know, he had made himself very known that he was Amanda's man. And you were like, um, from now on, no more men whose purpose, who, who, no more, no more men whose, whose purpose in your life is something that you could pay for. And I had to really sit with that (laughs) (laughs) because I had made his value like he was not he was not what he needed to be as a partner. Right. Like because he wasn't solid in his own self, but he had made his value that he was a companion for me to go to events that he could put up shelves, you know, that he could like. And so somehow we had like kind of nestled into this rhythm where he was like my living assistant. Yeah. Like my handyman and personal assistant. And, and, and that, and I was his benefactor. Right, exactly. Benefactor, and 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 by the way, like pseudo Muslim girlfriend, because I was not Muslim, but I respected him, so I would like only cook halal. And then when he was when he was going through Ramadan, it would be like he would do fuck shit, and then be like, we can't argue this Ramadan. (laughs) Like that's not fair. But I remember you pulling me aside to say that. And that was a relationship where I distinctly remember, and I will give him credit for this. He had said to me, like, you can't, I can't be in charge of your happiness. And I'm like, but you can be in charge of yourself. And the shit that you're doing is making me unhappy. And I think that's sometimes the part that, that men don't Mm -hmm. understand. Like they flip it back on you and it's like, okay, yeah, but. I, I am, I can be a happy person, but I'm not going to remain happy if you keep doing things that are upsetting. But then here's the great thing about that. We have free will. And so then we are free to go. There's that. There's that, which is what I said, which is why I don't shit on this dude in the book. Because if I had written this 10 years prior, it would not have been good for him. Right, right. But <laughs> upon reflection... Anything, I don't even talk about the shit that he did to me. You know why? Because at any point that when it wasn't working with, and it wasn't working a lot, I should have left. Listen, I have a chapter in my book, Small Doses, yeah. um, where I talk about, you know, relationships. And in one of the sections of breakups, I have a whole series of, I should have broken up with you. And literally it's just a, like three pages of, I should have broken up with you when I should have broken up with you when, and it's like, and it's, a, it's an amalgam of all these different relationships, but it's like all these moments where there was a fireable offense. Yes. And, and you, and instead you were CBS with Sharon Osbourne and you were like, I'm going to put the show on hiatus <laughs> instead of just fucking firing Sharon Osbourne. You know, I, um, I think that happens for a lot of us because what we are lacking is the wisdom of knowing that what's good for us will be for us. And I know that I know for me, a big change in like knowledge and wisdom came in being able to discern the difference between like what to work for and what to let go. Mm. And like, who really wants to be around? And yeah. I think some of us as women, particularly who are in like these cisgendered relate, like cisgendered women who date men that are um, cisgendered men in this like patriarchal, toxic masculinity yeah. society, mm-hmm. we really are trained to kind of be the fixers and and be taught like th- that we 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 can shift. And I think sometimes we 
misappropriate our power. Um, we give it away all the time. <laughs> we give it away. You know, I'll never forget, and you may not be on this train, but I'll never forget. I read, like, it was one of Ayala Van Zandt's early books. It was so <laughs> early that, that she talked about a CD player, like a Walkman or something, a Discman. <laughs> And it was and it was her book to teenage girls, and it was like, if you wouldn't let that boy borrow your disc, man, why would you have sex? <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, that's so right. Think about that. Think about that. You are willing to let some man come up in your house, eat up your food, come with you to every which way of this, that, and the other, but you would not lend him. Your your shiny new disc man. You wouldn't. You'd just be like, I don't want to give him my disc man, though. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really trust it. I can't I really can't trust it. it. So we shouldn't be just trying. If you can't give the man your disc man, you should not be giving him your heart. Well, you know, in the in the Meghan Markle conversation, there was a lot of people that were like, you know, you can't you can't ch- choose who you love. You ju- you can't choose who you love. And I just feel like maybe a year ago, as recent as a year ago, I would have been like, that's so true. Oh my god, that's so true. Yeah. But now I'm like, fuck, that's not true. That's not true. You absolutely can choose who you love, and you can choose. I, maybe I I will say I will I will s- refine that with. You can't choose who you love, but you can choose who you're in love with. Mm. And you can choose who you choose. You can choose who you determine to live a life with. Yes. I have exes and friends and people who are no longer in my life that I still love. Right. That I still have love for. I am not in love with them. I do not want them a part of my life. I do not want them a part of my existence. I, I think at the end of the day, it becomes more like I appreciate. I love and appreciate the time that we shared. That's right. And it is encapsulated on the timeline of my spirit's journey through yes. this dimension. I'm going to leave it there. And we'll <laughs> there. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, when it came to the Harry and Meghan Markle thing, you know, I, I was very distressed by the fact that she kept saying, I went to see the firm. I went to HR. I talked to the queen. I, I, I was like, well, what was the man doing? Well, He's that's his people. Queen. That's yes, exactly. People, like I would never like think about it. Would you ever just keep talking to your man's family if they were mishandling you? You would go to your man and you would be like, "Sir, your mama and them are out of control. Please get them together." I mean that that relationship that I was talking to you about. His sister tried to fight me twice, and I was like. And, and that ended up being like a really big part when we broke up. I remember we sat on the steps, you know, like it's like Seinfeld always says breakups are like a vending machine. You got to tip it a couple times before it yes. finally tips over. Yes. We sat on the stoop of my Harlem apartment for the last time and had a conversation where I just said, I don't like your family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like your friends. Wow. And I don't like how you practice your religion. Mm. Because he was very funny style about his Muslim practice. So mm-hmm. it's like either you do it or you don't. Right. But like what he would do was he would like kind of play with it and then throw parts of it at me when it was convenient. Yeah. 
So it's like you going to drink during Ramadan, but then have something to say to me about a bikini, sir. Sir. <laughs> so, um, and I said, and, and though I've brought all of this to your attention, you have made no actions. You've taken no actions to address your friends, your family, or yourself. Yeah. And so what else is there to do? And I watched him walk away. And that was it. That was the end. Like I, that was the final end, but it was because I really felt like your friends and your family be coming at me so sideways and you do nothing. So you I don't know. So, so you're right. I felt like that was a real weird, and I don't know if he did, but she didn't mention it. Well, she kept saying, I, 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 it sounded very solitary. Not like we, 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 right. Yeah. It, it should have been at the very least we, <laughs> but honestly yeah. it should have been him. No, well, Harry went to the firm. Harry went to HR. Harry went to his <laughs> grandmother. Harry, Harry, because I would have sat up there and been like, a damsel in distress. So, okay, let's. this is a wisdom moment. Had you been in that situation with them? Because Oprah takes a certain stance when she does interviews. It's a very kind of like unbiased, like I'm not going to offer anything. I'm just going to create space for you all. But had you been in an Ayanla scenario, a Bevelation scenario where they had come to you like, please, you know, share your wisdom with us. What would you have told them? I'm glad you got out of that toxic, toxic ass patriarchal cesspool. Um, they have been racist. The whole thing is built on racism. Facts. There's no way you could have won that battle, Megan. Harry, they killed your mother. <laughs> okay. That's what Mickey was talking about. That right there. <laughs> That was harsh. That came for the neck. Yeah, that, that came for the juggler. That, but you need to own that and own the, the way they did your mother. You right. watched The Crown. Yeah. You yeah. saw what happened to your mama. And you talked to your mother's friends. So you know what happened to her. So you already know that. They, I know you're upset about having to leave them behind. But it's the best thing that you could have ever done. And then how would they... How do you feel like them moving forward will they'll be able to preserve their relationship? Because once you can, because now they're in a trauma bond. Yes. They're in a tra- but are they really in a trauma bond? He's in a trauma bond. I feel like she's a grown ass woman who has lived a life. And I don't know that she's like, like, I, I don't know that she's the. The damsel. The damsel. I feel like, and I, that's not the ever discount what happened to her. But I think that she's been a black woman in America long enough that she's seen this kind of treatment before. She's been at the hands of those kind of people before. I don't know that she ever has. No, she has because remember, remember when she, did you not see that little commercial of her? Um, Like she's like, it was like some kind of like detergent or something. And they were like, oh, women should wash the dishes and now you won't get wrinkles. And she was like, she wrote a little letter. She was a child and she was like, I just find it horrible that they're saying that women should wash the dishes. Everyone should wash the dishes. And then they changed the fucking commercial around for her. But that's women. That's not black that's women. women. But what I'm saying is too, when you watch that commercial, she's clearly a black girl. She's clearly a black girl. She had, the hair was not straight. Like it was right, like right, right. Okay. Fuzzy. But I don't know that she, I mean, and, but that's her as a youth, you know? Um, right, but, but I still think that Amanda, 
I think that even though she is very, very light-skinned and clearly has led a very more white-leaning-esque life, shit comes up. Fair. Shit comes up. And people know, and 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 your mother's going to show up eventually somewhere. <laughs> in the green. <laughs> your mother's going to show up in a green dress for the wedding. And that is the fact. And she's got, and she's got the melanin. And they're going to know. And so things are going to come up. So I, I do feel like she had had a little bit of experience at that. Um, and um, so I don't think that she is as... Maybe she was triggered by it, but it wasn't her first time at the fucking rodeo, the racism rodeo. She might have been triggered, but it wasn't her first time at the race. Step right up to the (laughs) racism rodeo. Let's with the lasso and everything, right? So I, I, I don't know. I just feel like he's um, traumatized, and I feel like she's going to have to be his caregiver for a very long time. But is that? I mean, okay, so. Taking that out of the context of Megan and Harry, I just feel like so many of us end up in those situations of with course. somebody. And, and we align it with this purpose that we feel like now we have been attached to something that means something. Now we have someone who needs us. And what we don't yeah. realize is that what we're actually doing is planting very solid roots for codependency. And so, and like, denying ourselves our own humanity and our own gifts and our but that's own the code. That's the codependency part. It's like it becomes this this whole thing of like, in order for me to have value, I have to be attached to this person. Which you and talked I have about. to be in service to this person. That's a part that I don't like. I don't want to be in service to anyone, unless they are a child or unless they're my elderly someone, someone right. that's in need. Well, if you're an able-bodied able-minded person, I don't want to be in service to you. I want to perhaps serve you occasionally. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't want to be in service to you. That's not my That's not my mission in life. That's not my jam. That's not something I'm very comfortable with doing. I also don't need someone to be in, mission, in service to me, which is something I did require once upon a time. I did Why did you, what do you mean you required that? Oh, that's all I wanted. So everybody was supposed to be in service to me. All the men had to be in service to me. Just, and that made you feel like you were in control and not being taken advantage it, of? It was No, it wasn't even about control. It was about, it's my way or the highway. It was like, yeah. I, I just, in the words of uh, Mama D, I deserve. <laughs> I deserve. <laughs> play that song sometimes. It's a wonderful song. But I deserved, I deserved people to serve me. And because a man came into relationships or situationships in a predatory manner, Mm. I said, well, okay, if this is what you want, well, I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to tell you what I want. And um, yeah, we're going to see who wins out. And then, of course, you get tired of playing those games. And you wake up and you're like, yeah, not so much anymore. And I just want a good partnership. That's it. But I might, you know, now there's that big trend of being submissive to men. I'm not into it. Everybody should do what they want. But that's not my game. You know that trend. That's a, I mean, I've seen it sprinkled about here and there on the computer, as you say. Yes, yes, yes. Huge on the computer. 
You know, I think that it, it, people continuously come up with all these different ways and ideologies and theories and and they're presented in the form of wisdom by the way so right. that's the other thing particularly on this computer now everybody is wise you everybody know? is wise i just watched the whole thing on hollywood unlocked with little mama and a man and they were having a big conversation about trans children and pedophilia and i was just like well and i had to politely just put in some notes about <laughs> Well, trans because they were everyone's so worried about trans children making a mistake and regretting it later on. And um, I'm like, well, what first, mistake? Well, they think that they're getting gender confirmation surgery. They think that the eight year old that says, "Mommy, I'm not a girl. I'm a boy." They think that automatically that child, if the parent is accepting, they think that the, the child is ushered into surgery. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah, that's what they believe. You know that. That's what they believe, right? I just thought this had been debunked already. Like, because I know <laughs> that when, I know that when Zaya Wade, you know, came out and people were like, people like Boosie, who has the, I, the fact that people have the nerve to consider anything Boosie says of note or of wisdom is beyond my scope of comprehension. But <laughs> he had said something about like, you know, how disgusting he thought this was and how irresponsible of a parent this was. By the way, this is the same person who said that he got his son head at 12 because right. he's, <laughs> because he claimed, because he's a responsible parent. So there's a woman that he also had sex with. So yes. So, but I say all that to say, that it was just this thought process that, that, by the way, I had an ex who we had that conversation and he was just like, what's wrong with that? And I was like, I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> are you serious? And right. he was just like, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, that, you know, that's what I did. And I was like, and now, right, here now we, we are. Now we know why. Now we know um, why. But I just, I don't understand how you can think that. Like, there's there hasn't been any evidence there hasn't been any examples of that to show because you know people whenever the lgbtqia conversation comes into play the first thing people think about is sex and genitalia that's it for them that's all that really ever comes up that's it it's sex and genitalia it has nothing else to do with anything else they that's all they focus on so of course if a child is a trans child they're like oh my god one day they like Purple is their favorite color, and the next day is orange. How can they be allowed to decide that they want to be a a a, a girl? The, I mean, you're cutting off and you're castrating them. Someone actually said they castrate the children. I was like, oh well, they don't castrate the children, pumpkin pie. They don't do it. You can't even get it done as a child. I was going to say, this is not even literally done. Well, at least not in America. Not in America. You cannot. And, and then the second part of it is, it's incredibly expensive to get gender confirmation. Surgery. Yes. So, yeah. So everybody just cool out for a minute. But the, but but we brought this up because this is a conversation that was being had amongst two people that don't have the information, but that be, are being presented on a platform as if they can speak knowledgeably about this. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And, and I, that 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 is what concerns me because I do feel like there is. I'm very happy to know that there is like an energy towards people wanting to find information again. Right. Like that. I do feel like we're starting to see that. And we've had four years of like absolute idiocy 
being like the top of the, like that's idiocy is the tits. And so I'm glad to see that like, there is a shift happening where people are getting more interested in like, I, I, at least I know my listeners, I'd be like research, question everything, research everything. You're not sure about what I said. Look it up. Like It's it's so good. The Google machine is our friend. It's there for you. It's there for you. And please, once you use the Google machine, then also go and look at what the information is coming from. (laughs) What the information is coming from. Right. Because a lot of times people see headlines and don't read the source. Right. And it it might be right. I was just going to say it could be coming from a very biased source, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I went through a very, very, very difficult time in 2019 because someone had wrote an article claiming that I lied about uh, accusing a brother of sexual harassment. And the, the headline was Amanda Seals lies about accusing this person of sexual harassment. Now, this was not a um, reliable source. This was not an actual journalist. This is just a nigga with a website. And <laughs> yeah. listen, but that, 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 that was enough. it traveled the world, baby. It traveled the world. And over, you know, and it, over a few minutes, it turned into fact. It turned yeah. into fact yeah. and that quick, just because people, but I wanted to ask you about something because I have had, I've been burned by folks, by some, by, I've had examples where I've been burned by people that I felt like we had a mentorship type of exchange. And I wondered if you'd ever had that experience. I've been, I won't say burned. I will say disappointed. Mm. I'll say disappointed um, because anyone that I, I, I feel like I'm a really good judge of character and of people. So anyone that I've ever mentored it's always been a really great relationship. Now there have been times when I've been disappointed in the relationship, but we always find our way back to each other because the foundation was always there. You know what I mean? The foundation was always there. So I also don't allow people that are quote fingers, fans of mine to come into my world because you may think that you want me to be your auntie bevy. You may think you want me to be your big sister. You may think you want me to be mother to you. <laughs> the bitch. As you said, Amanda, I pulled you aside of the party. Like, <laughs> that's not fun. <laughs> okay. You came up into a party looking good, feeling good. And now it this- wasn't a day brunch. Like, I'm here, niggas. I'm here. And I was and like, the, oh. And this dozy bitch is like, come in for a minute. Let me talk to you. <laughs> okay, girl, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, bus kill. But that's how I am. And so in order to, so I pick people to mentor that I feel that can, um, that will accept that approach and will respect it and want it. You know what I mean? I'm never trying to like be a buzzkill. I'm never trying to bring anyone down. But if I see you about to run into a motherfucking tree, I'm going to be like, okay, don't do that. There's a really big oak right there. I know you can't see it. But I see I have really good vision. I'm 54 and I don't wear glasses. So I'm just going to tell you, don't go down that road. You're going to run into that oak. Well, you know, I think that that's why um, the mentoring thing is really, it's, it's a real relationship and it has to be reciprocal and it has to be based on mutual respect and it can't be based around adoration because that shit fades. Because once people come into your life and they see your dirty drawers and they see your, you know, whatever foilables that you have, 
if if all it was about was the public persona of you, yeah, huh, they're gonna they're gonna that's it scares me how many people want to be up in my sphere, and I'm like, you really don't, because it's not what you think it's gonna be. I'm not super glamorous. Like my sons that are doing all my marketing work for me, they come up in here, a bitch be having on a robe, no bra, her wig be off, it be cornrows up in here. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? But they're my sons for real, for real. Like I'm mentoring them for real. So they they love they mother. They can see you. Yeah. They can see me. That's not going to be like, oh my God, the, the Wizard of Oz is really a small man behind the curtain. They know that the Bevy Smith is really a 54-year-old black woman with a great set of tits that she lets <laughs> in <laughs> and has corn-rolled hair. Yeah, they know that. Well, before we go, you have been so generous with your sharing of wisdom and your experiences with, you know, your colleagues and also those of us who have come up, you know, as novices, um, neophytes of sorts um, behind you. What would you say is like the piece of wisdom that you share with yourself that keeps you going? Because you're a mainstay, you know, like there's not many that I feel like come into the game and stay you know, like they might come, like even like we talk about Brooke Shields, like she ha- she was here and then she left. Like, and it's not to say that she's not successful. I'm not sure what she's doing, but right. like she, she, you know, she decided that this wasn't where she wanted to stay and she wanted to take a turn. And I feel like we've seen that with a number of folks and for various reasons. I'm not, this is not shade by any, re- by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a certain level of inner peace and stamina that is required to be in this as long as you have. And so what is the wisdom that you give yourself that you have learned from this time? Everything is as it should be. That's one of my revelations. Everything is as it should be. And I pace my motherfucking self and I do not allow myself to get hysterical about someone else's success. Elaborate. Well, I am not running a race against anyone else. Mm-hmm. Competition is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison and, is the thief of joy. Yes. That's not mine, it's someone else's. It's a famous quote of some sort. But what I know for sure is that so many people burn themselves out because they're always looking alongside of them, themselves and they're always looking at who's in front. And they're constantly judging and assessing their entire life based on what's going on with someone else's life. And so what that means is that you're running as fast as you can. And then you're, then you're going to push yourself and you're going to burn out. And I pace myself. Do you not spend a lot of time smoking imaginary cigarettes and eating imaginary bonbons? (laughs) I swear I do. That's what I do in the day. Let me tell you something, Amanda. I'll tell you the truth. And I didn't want to say this to you because I didn't want to come off the wrong way. But I'm literally not doing like podcasts or anything. I'm Like the things I already have booked, I'm going to finish them. Uh-huh. I'm not doing a lot more of them because my book press tour was so intense. Ma'am, I, I, I know that life. Right. And I'm exhausted. Right. So I'm not doing it anymore. And it's okay. So I made that decision. 
Well, thank you for including us and upon oh. such short notice. But I but I hope you knew that our conversation was going to feel so different than... No, listen, and you ain't even have to go all there. That's the reason why I didn't even say that shit to you. But, <laughs> I, but, I, want, but I want to say this to your listeners, that it's okay yeah. to run your own fucking race. As a matter of fact, it's imperative to do it. And please do not look at what everyone else is doing. Do what feels right for you. What feels right for me right now in this moment, I'll give you another one. This is perfect segue into what I was going to say anyway. When page six TV got canceled, I was like, wow, after that experience, I know what I don't want to do on TV ever again. And I said, what I'm not going to do is go back out and try and find another TV hosting gig because the only show that's literally on TV right now that I would want to be a part of is The View. That is it. That's mm-hmm. the only hosting gig that I would want to be on. I didn't want to be on any of the other talk shows, right? So fine. So I didn't go to my agent and be like, find me another job. Oh my God, girl, I'll move anywhere. Just get me a job. Because <laughs> I knew I wanted to do something different. And I and I thought about it and I said, I want to get back into acting. Because I never gave myself enough opportunity to act, to really pursue it. Because huh. my acting, when I went to Susan Baxson's Black Nexus, I was lucky enough to have Susan Batson or one of my classes. And she said, who are you? You are a book. You're a movie. You're waiting to be told. As you are, you can work. As you are, you can work. You and when they work. tell you that, that's what made me move to L.A. Kim Coleman said, as you are, you can work. And I was like, all right, that's all I needed to hear. So right. what stopped you from? Well, no, what she meant was I am. Me, Bev- Bevy Smith. You're the story. Yes. The and my my mentor told me, oh, you don't want to put other people's words in your mouth. You you have the best words. He was like, you should just go, you should do TV, yes, but you should be a host. You should like be out there talking as yourself. I know this journey. So I was like, and then I kept getting all these opportunities to speak as Beverly Smith, as Beverly yes. Smith. I'm like, why the fuck am I going to not take these opportunities? Of course. But when this show gets fucking canceled, I'm like, I'm going to try and get back into this acting thing. And in the book, Bevelations, Lessons from My Mother, Auntie Bestie, I put down that on March 12th, I went on an audition for a TV show. I was not excited about going for two reasons. There was a global pandemic that was about to pop off. Yep. York City closed down the next day. Yes. And also, I didn't know if I really had a grasp of the material. Okay. But I go anyway, and I'm frightened, and I fight the fear, and I go. And I say, I'm so glad I went, because I don't know what happened with the production, because everything closed down, but I'm glad I went. And that's a win. And in the book, I'm like, high five to myself, I did yeah. it. Child, two months ago, the casting people called me and said, Bevy, we want you to come in. We have a role for you. Ah! So- so I, they, wrote, they wrote me one scene, and I went in and did it. I did it so well. They wrote me a second scene. That's how I it goes. So well, well that I'm going back next week to do a third scene. And next thing, they're going to be like, we just would like to make you a series regular. And I'm Congrats! This is huge! I'm 54 years old, Amanda. You see, because it's never too late. Joan Rivers is the, I mean, is the queen of that. Joan Rivers didn't pop till she was 54 years old. It gets greater later. My number one revelation. It gets greater later. 54 <laughs> fucking years old and my fifth career. I cannot believe it. I have chills. 
I'm gagging my damn self. (laughs) (laughs) The last dose. That's it, Amanda. That's 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 the message. Run your own race. Know it gets greater later. Please don't. The comparison is a thief of joy. Those are the those are the things, and that's what will keep you sane in this fucking world. Not just in this industry that we're in, but in yeah. this world, that those things will keep you sane. Running your own race, knowing that you know comparison is a thief of joy, and knowing that it gets greater later, baby. As long as you got breath in your body. You can achieve some things and also dare to dream real big, real, real big and audacious like you have always. I, I, I have people like you. I haven't dreamed. I feel like I've always dreamed very like cautious, like very um, like in, in a state of realism. I've always dreamed very practically. And yeah. yeah. And in the last I would say in the last three years when I started to be like, you know what? Imagine if. And, you know, and that goes back to what we were saying in the beginning, like make space, make room, you know, that it doesn't have make to just room. be like right here. No, but I really this right there, Amanda, people like you, anything that's right there is literally right there. Like if you had some like small dream of just having just being on a, on a just on just having a talk show, the affable Amanda show could happen tomorrow. <laughs> It's the affable Amanda show. I yeah. mean, I remember when I remember when um uh hello, why am I blanking? When um Grandmaster Flash was like, why can't you just write like some bullshit song and make your mom a million bucks? And I was and buy her a house. And I was like, first of all, I expect more wisdom from you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know and what? To his credit, he came up the hard scrabble way. And and so those guys. Right. So he's like, don't put yourself through what I went through. Like, just get there. And I was like, mm, yeah, but if I did, if I got it that way, I, I don't feel like I would I would want it, you know. And 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 I'll say that, too, because I speak real earnestly and honestly about these white folks, about this town, about, you know, just about injustice whenever I see it. And and I had a friend recently be like, you know, but don't you feel like that could get in the way of like deals that you're doing? And I'm just like, no, no. because if 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 it's a deal that I'm supposed to have and it requires me to be silent about the shit that's going down, then it's not a deal for me. It's not a deal for you. And, 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 and comparatively my peers may operate differently, but again, like you said, comparison is the thief of joy and I have nothing to do with what they are doing. Nothing. Where can people get Bevelations? Everywhere. Buy the Bevelations everywhere. And if you've already bought Bevelations, please leave a review. But really go buy Bevelations for everyone. And I also narrate the audio book. And it's filled with lots of asides and different things like that. So that's good. But then the real book, the um, hardcover book, actually has pictures of Big Bev from Uptown. So you get to see me as a hip-hop hottie. So that's also fun as well. It is very fun. It's a glorious time. <laughs> yes. Uh, and just like having you here is a glorious time and getting to see you because we all don't get to see each other no more. I know. And you but look I fabulous. You. I love you and I miss you. And now I'm going to do my radio show. Revelation okay, on Series XM, Channel 102. There it is. Yes! I told you, Bevy is Bevy is that bitch. She is the truth. 
She is the truth. Make sure to go out there and get Bevelations. And, you know, I think there's a lot of revelations that I hope you all have while listening because it definitely, you know, the conversation dovetails, but ultimately you're trying to use your wisdom to look at other situations that may also eventually relate to you, right? And so that's how you end up talking about things like Meghan Markle and Lil Boosie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes down to it, um, there really is a, a movement that happened over this summer where I feel like a lot of us had to find wisdom. And that time that she said she went through at 33, a lot of us went through during 2020, where we were forced to go internal and synthesize in real time in a way that we just never chose to or never even had time to or were never forced to. And uh, so I think a lot of us crossed over to wisdom. And I think it's it's... It's great for us, but it's also a necessity because in the COVID of it all, we have lost so many elders and the elderly were our wisdom base. You know, they were those who have been here long enough to look at things from a bird's eye view in a way that we simply haven't. As Bebby said at the beginning of the interview, you know, she grew up with history. And so a lot of us, our history that we grew up with has, has gone on uh, to the other side over this last year. And so it is time for a new space of wisdom to open up and for folks to step into that in a whole and really purposeful way, an intentional way. So thank you to Bebby Smith for joining us. And, you know, I wish all of you all a safe journey to your wisdom and to be conscious of the fact that not everybody who says they wise got wisdom. Some of them is actually just pulling the wool over your eyes. Star Bands Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.